Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, get out a pen and paper. Use your bulletin. You're going to take some notes today. We're about to study Acts 2. We are in Acts 2 of our um, series, and we've come to the part about the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire, the disciples speaking in many different languages, and some of you are very excited at this news. Some of you are very nervous about where I'm going with this. Some of you are puzzled because you have no idea what any of this means, and that's okay. Um, let me remind you, Charlie and I are dedicated to taking Acts as it comes to us and letting the account of Acts unfold. Instead of reading all the stuff into it that will come, we're taking it as we see it, as they find it. And when I speak on topics such as Pentecost, each of us comes into this room with a different set of expectations for how the sermon will go. And hopefully, I'm going to meet none of them. You know, this passage in Acts has split churches and caused people to leave a place of worship and never come back. But this will not be true of us, Orchard. We're going to, listen, whether you're a veteran or a newcomer or guest today or anywhere in between, we want to partner together for two things. The first one is this. Here at the Orchard, we commit that there is room for anyone because we keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus. He's the main thing. Number two, Despite our differences, many different differences that we have from all walks of life and pasts, we, are, we have unity in Jesus. Unity is our story. So I want to go into this amazing passage. I am going to go fast. You might have to get the podcast afterwards. I'm excited about what God's going to show us today. But let's get into this as I read. I'm not going to put it on the screens. We talked because I read so fast, it's just going to be a waste of time to have it up there. But I'm going to read Acts 2. You can follow along in your Bible if you'd like. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were together in one place. Write down Pentecost in your notes. Suddenly a sound of blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Write down wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of the disciples. Write down fire. <clears throat> All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd, the sound of the, of the rushing wind and then the, the speaking, the crowd rushed together in bewilderment because each single person heard it spoken in their own language. They were amazed and they said, aren't all these people Galileans? Look, by their accent, aren't they all Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears it in our native tongue? Luke then goes on to name about 15 different countries and nationalities, and all of them say the same thing. These people are declaring the wonders of God in our own language. How is this possible? They're amazed and perplexed, and they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of it and said, they've had too much wine. At which point, Peter stands up with the other 11 disciples, and he raises his voice to address the crowd and says, fellow Jews and all who live here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. And what's his excuse? It's only nine in the morning. Write down 9 a.m. Seriously. Peter then launches into a sermon. And in this sermon, he talks about the prophets. He talks about Jesus, all that Jesus had done. And finally, how Jesus was killed. And at the end of his sermon, when he is done... Um, he tells people, you should be, repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized. And we see right off the bat the correct response 
to the convicting call of the Spirit is after you decide to follow Jesus in salvation, you make adjustments. Deep changes happen within you that transform you. And you get baptized. He replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to implore them, and on that day, 3,000 people were saved. That's an amazing service. That's a great day. I don't know if you know. In my industry, that's a good day, okay? There was about 120 before that. Now there's 3,120, okay? Finally, and just, it's amazing to me. Orchard, finally, finally we're into some Christian stuff. Like we did Jesus for two and a half years, but he's the bridge between the New Testament and the Old Testament. But now, here in Acts 2, we have our first Christian holiday, Pentecost, I mean, the word Pentecost is what we have a whole denomination from and type of worship from. Pentecost has launched the careers of many TV evangelists. Pentecost, a Christian thing. We're finally in it, right? Yeah. What if I told you that this day in Acts 2 was one of the most Jewish days of the entire calendar year? A day so important that multiple hundreds of thousands of people from all over would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be at the temple this very day. And what if I told you that this word Pentecost, that we believe is so Christian, is actually rooted in the Old Testament to a specific moment, to a specific revelation of God. And that if we're going to understand Acts 2, we should go back and understand what God did centuries before. So stick with me and buckle up, okay? You all right? To find the truth about Pentecost, we're going to travel back in time to two very specific dates. The first one is 350 years before Acts 2 happens in the year 329 BC. Alexander the Great shows up to the gates of Jerusalem and meets the high priest Simon the Just. Alexander the Great is conquering the ancient world over there. And he brings two things with him when he conquers. He brings Greek language and with it, Greek culture. And as this Greekness spreads, it turns into, they call it Hellenism. And Hellenism just means to speak or to make Greek. It begins to spread all over. And in 329 BC, he brings Hellenism to Israel. Now, why do I tell you this? Why does Alexander the Great have to do with this? Because the word Pentecost, that we believe is such a New Testament Christian word, is actually an ancient Greek word. A word that has to do at this point, with more about at this point, more to do with Alexander the Great than it does Christianity. And I know we would love for the word Pentecost. If I asked you, what do you think it means before all this, this preamble? You would have said probably like fire or like spirit, something just powerful. <laughs> Pentecost is simply the Greek word that means 50th. Pentecost means 50th. It's a numeric word. After Alexander the Great, this word Pentecost begins to show up in Jewish religious writings centuries before Jesus. And in one ancient text, the book of 2 Maccabees, they talk about a Jewish festival. And they call this festival Pentecost. Now, this is interesting because Pentecost is a Greek word. It began to replace a very Jewish word that had been used for thousands of years, over a thousand years. 
Pentecost is the Hellenistic name for a Hebrew word, a Hebrew word that is loaded with culture and context and history, a Hebrew word that is the very key to unlocking what Acts 2 is. Pentecost was replaced by the word, Pentecost replaced the Hebrew word Shavuot, S-H-A-V-U-O-T, Shavuot. Now what is Shavuot? Shavuot, is the name of a holiday found in the Old Testament. And from the very voice of God himself in Exodus, he says, he calls it the Feast of Weeks. He speaks that to Moses. You see, when when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he gave him other instructions as well. And one of those was about the, the holidays and the Hebrews and what they would celebrate and the festivals. But Shavuot is not just a festival It's one of the three holy days where God asked his people to make a pilgrimage to his presence, whether it be a mountain, a tabernacle, or a temple, depending on the age. Exodus 34, 23, three times, this is God speaking, three times a year you shall appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. Shavuot is one of these most holy days. Do you see why in Acts 2, we already read it in verse 5, it says, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation, and he names the nations. Do you see why they're all there? They're not there for the Christian Pentecost. They're there for Shavuot, as they have been for centuries. The festival that God instructed them to celebrate 1,300 years prior For centuries, generations of them had made this pilgrimage to appear before God in his presence. They had to travel to God's presence. Now, Shavuot is uh, declared in in Exodus as a wheat festival. It's the wheat harvest. And God says they should celebrate this wheat harvest by bringing the first fruits, that is the tithe, of the wheat harvest to God. Now, unlike pagan religions, they, they didn't go have the festival hoping to get the harvest They would have the harvest and then out of thanksgiving bring it to God, bring their tithe and say thank you. And this tithe wasn't a punishment. They would bring this tithe out of joy and God is very clear in Exodus 34, 26, he reiterates they should bring this tithe to no other place but the house of the Lord. No charity, bring it to God's house out of gratitude for what God has done. And so they would come and they would worship God by bringing this first fruits of their wheat harvest. Now Shavuot is called the, uh, the festival of weeks. And here's why. Because Shavuot is always seven weeks and one day after Passover. You would celebrate Passover and begin counting weeks. After counting seven weeks, the next day is Shavuot. Seven weeks is how many days? Seven times seven? Add one more day? Fifty. Shavuot is the 50th day after Passover. 50 days. The 50th day, which thanks to Alexander the Great got translated to what? Pentecost. That's how we got there. But this wheat festival thanking God for his provision, does this seem like that big of a deal that I'm taking this much of our time to give you a history into a wheat harvest? There's so much more to Shavuot. What makes bread? What what does wheat make? Makes bread, right? Wheat makes bread. Shavuot is the wheat harvest, but the Old Testament tells us in and through this that man cannot live on bread alone, but by what comes from the very mouth of God. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by the words that come from the mouth of God, which is the other part of Shavuot and what makes it so special. Shavuot is when from God's mouth, the word of God, the Torah, was given to Moses. 
Shavuot was when God spoke the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Has anybody, when you were a kid, did you ever want a video game or something and your grandma gave you a Bible? You're like, wow, thank you. And it's in like some old language that no one speaks. Or for us, getting a Bible, they're in hotel rooms. For us, a Bible, uh, that's kind of a, that's a great gift. For to a Hebrew, the giving of the Torah was the definitive moment in the Old Testament. I can't stress that enough. The Torah is what set the Hebrew people apart from other people. The Torah is God's revelation to them about who he is and about who they are and about how they should live. It's an identity and it's an instruction manual all in one. The Torah is God's revelation and even during the time of Jesus, children learned to read by learning the Torah. And if someone wanted to be a rabbi or even a disciple, you had to memorize the first five books of the Torah. Memorize it. The Torah was life. The Torah was central to the life of a Hebrew. I can't stress it enough. Shavuot is the celebration of not only the, the wheat harvest, but of God giving the Hebrews their identity and revealing himself, showing his identity to them. Now, it just begs the question, and I know you're asking it, you're wondering right now, what does Shavuot and Acts 2 Pentecost have to do with one another at all? In Acts 2, we read, when the day of Pentecost, when the day of Shavuot came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other languages. In Acts 2, God is initiating a new way of engaging with him, okay? How does this fire and Holy Spirit connect to God giving the Torah to his people thousands of years prior? It's a great question. I believe in order to understand Acts 2 Pentecost, we have to go back to the first Shavuot. The first moment when God revealed his nature and the new way of living to his people. So let's travel together 1,300 years in the past from Acts 2. We find a people in a desert, a tired people. They've been slaves for generations. They're now free and they're following Moses through their slavery, they have lost so much. They've lost much of their culture, most of their heritage, and all of their identity. These are a people who are free, yet because of all their experience and the generations of slavery, they still act and think and feel like slaves. They have no great cause. They have no understanding of how to behave or how to engage with their God. We find these Hebrews with one man as their leader, and that's Moses. Now, surely you remember this story, right? Charlton Heston or the cartoon, or we've all, at some point, you know the story. You remember the first Passover, it happened in Egypt, and Pharaoh released the Hebrews from slavery, and the Hebrews, they traveled out of Egypt, they fled, and for 49 days they traveled, and they got to Mount Sinai, and then God informs them, I'm gonna do something the next day. I am going to descend for all the people to see. Now they've seen the works of God. They've seen all the plagues. They've seen, all the, they've seen the Red Sea. God says, I'm going to descend. 
The God, the creator of the universe, wants to be known by his people. So on the following day, the 50th day since Passover, it says, on that morning, there was thunder and there was lightning and a thick cloud descended upon the mountain with a loud trumpet. And the mount, all the mountain is covered in smoke because the Lord descended in fire. Did you write down fire? God is going to do a new work here and he descends in fire. He's changing the way that he is going to operate. You see, Moses then goes up the mountain and God's going to reveal to Moses the purposes of God and he's gonna write them on a stone tablet. God is changing the way he operates and this is no small moment. This right here is the game changer of the Old Testament, a new revelation of God. No longer will his people not know how to access him. He's showing them how to access. He's giving them his word so they have access to his divine wisdom and instruction on how to live a godly life. It lends them boldness so they can live holy and different lives than the culture they find around them. It, through this, they can know God better and through this Torah, they can know themselves better as they say who, who God made them to be. Truly, the Hebrew people were never the same after this. Still, still very human, but something changed. Now, what does this first Shavuot have anything to do with Pentecost? What would fire from heaven and a new way of connecting with God and everything changing moving forward have to do with Acts 2 Pentecost? I don't know. I don't know. There's something in this. I can feel it. Let's leave Exodus and let's leave Mount Sinai and let's go back to Acts 2 to the disciples, okay? Acts 1, Jesus tells the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait for something. Wait for someone. Who are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament? Again, we think it's all, oh, this is the good Christians. Did you know the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament? He was referred to in the Old Testament as the Ruach Kodesh. And Ruach Kodesh translates to holy wind. Did you write down wind? God's Holy Spirit in the Old Testament Hebrew would be Ruach Kodesh. In fact, in Psalm 51:11, David pleads, do not cast me from your presence, God. Do not take your Ruach Kodesh from me. And so when Jesus tells his Hebrew disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, they know of this Holy Spirit. They know of the Ruach Kodesh. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the Holy Wind. They're in town, in Jerusalem, waiting when Jerusalem begins to get flooded with people. They're waiting, and people begin to pour into the city from all the corners. You see, Hebrews would pilgrim from many different nations, uh, from cultures and languages, to Jerusalem. They would gather together, and they would bring their tithe, and they would have a celebration for what God has done, but also they would have a celebration of the awesome moment that God gave them the Torah. And so Jew Jerusalem at this time would be very busy. It would be packed. There'd be crowds. It would be alive with energy. And on the morning of Shavuot, 50 days after Passover on Acts 2, by the way, 50 days before this moment in Pentecost on Passover, who died? Jesus. It's always Jesus. That's always the right answer in church, right? <laughs> in Acts 2, Jesus dies. It counts 49, seven weeks. And then on the 50th day, 
Vast numbers of people gather in the temple courts and all the surrounding area. For thousands of years, their ancestors had always done this. They had made the trip to a mountain at times, to a tabernacle, and then to the temple, and these people were no different. They traveled to where God resided. And at 9 a.m., around 9 a.m., the shofar, the ancient trumpet, would blast, letting them know it was time. Did you write down 9 a.m. earlier? Good. Did you, we now know two things about 9 a.m., okay? We know this. We, knew that, we know that the Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit, came around 9 a.m. How do we know that? Because when they told Peter they were drunk, he said, we're not drunk. It's only like 9 a.m. So we know the Holy Spirit came in power around 9 a.m. We also know that not around 9 a.m. was when the shofar would blast, letting the people know it was time. That was when the, the temple readings, ever, the temple readings would happen for Shavuot. Now, I have to be completely honest with you. This gets me excited, but I cannot tell you that I know the exact moment when the Ruach Kodesh, when the Holy Spirit came. I can't tell you. Acts 2 says there was a blowing of a mighty wind that came from heaven and fire descended. I don't know the exact moment when the Spirit came, but I want you to listen to what would have happened on that Shavuot and you tell me when you think it might have happened. So it's the morning of Shavuot. Acts 2. The entire temple court area is packed with hundreds of thousands of nationalities and pilgrims. While inside the temple grounds at 9 a.m., the shofar would be trumpeted and the priest would stand up and he would go and he would grab a certain scroll and go to a certain place to read. The same place they read every Shavuot at that time. A holy hush would fall over the entire crowd as they wait for this to start. And there in the temple, 9 a.m., Pentecost, Shavuot, just like every year for centuries, the priest would stand and read the words of the prophet Ezekiel, these words. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. And the hand of the Lord was upon me. I looked and a mighty wind gusted with a great cloud and fire descended from it. Now, I don't know when the Holy Spirit came, but that's what they read about 9 a.m. That's what they read. That was their reading for 9 a.m. on that day. When God's presence descended on Mount Sinai, God was about to give a new work. He was going to reveal himself in a new way, and he descended in fire and God inhabited the mountain and he gave them the Torah written on stone. And here in Acts 2, just like Mount Sinai, God is going to do a new work. He's going to reveal himself in a new way and he descends in fire. But this time, it's different than all the others because the fire won't inhabit a mountain and it won't inhabit the temple, because in Acts 2, his presence lands on a new temple, the hearts of his people. No longer will his presence reside in the Holy of Holies in the back of the temple, because now the Holy of Holies is the very soul of those who follow him. People used to have to travel for long, vast differences, vast dis distances to be in the place where God's presence resided. They had to go to him. 
But here in Acts 2, God changes his address from a temple and no longer would they have to have, make any sort of pilgrimage to the temple or a mountain because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God was no longer there. And God's Holy Spirit bursting forth from the Holy of Holies, ripping the curtain, blows fresh wind and descends in ancient fire upon his people. A fire they felt in Sinai. He now lives within his people. No longer in the temple. No longer on the mountain. And for us, we're like, oh, that's good. This is shocking. This is, this is incredible that the God of the universe no longer inhabits a holy of holies where people have to perform sacrifices. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God now inhabits my soul and my heart is his holy of holies. The very presence of God that descended on Sinai, that spirit, that presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, lives within those of us who follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit who is from God. On Shavuot, 1,300 years prior, 50 days after the first Passover lamb was killed, God sent his Torah, a new revelation to his people. And here, in the book of Acts, 50 days after the last Passover lamb, God sends his spirit, a new revelation to his people. As the Torah would define a believer's life and behavior, so now the Spirit will define a person's life and behavior. As the Torah would guide a follower in ways of right living, so now the Spirit guides the followers in ways of right living. As the Torah would empower people to live separate of the sin and the culture, so now the Spirit empowers us to live separate of the sin and the culture. And the Torah was there to reveal to people where they were far from God and call them back. And now the Spirit reveals to us where we are far from God and it calls us back. The correlation between these two events is no coincidence. God is saying something here. He's saying this, what I did before when I gave the Torah, when I revealed my nature, when I gave you the wisdom and the guidance and the conviction, when I gave the people their truest identity, I will do it again. But this time, I will not write my words on stone tablets. I will write my words on their heart. And I will place my very spirit within them. He did a new work on the Shavuot. Mount Sinai and then God's temple, those were the places where God's presence were, met earth, where heaven and earth met on, the, on Mount Sinai and in the temple. But now, through Jesus our Savior, heaven and earth don't meet in a building they meet within us who follow Jesus. His spirit resides within us. People used to have to travel to God for his presence, but no longer. In fact, now we've read over and over that God asks us who are in Jesus to travel to them. We go out. We go take what we have out. He asks us to be witnesses to our coworkers, to our friends, to our enemies and beyond. And guess what? When we go out of this room, do you know what you leave with? Do you know who goes with you when you leave? The Ruach Kodesh, the very presence of God that fell in fire, 
As Romans 8, 11 said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that much power, that spirit, guess what it says? It resides in you. The spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within you. And it goes with you. And he goes with you. And you carry with you the Holy Spirit. In Exodus, God gave his Torah and everything was different. And here in Acts 2, God gives his Holy Spirit and we're gonna read that everything after this is different because of the Holy Spirit. Everything we go on from here on out will be in context of this Shavuot, of this Pentecost, of this coming of the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to pause here and tell you what this was and why God did it because God is going to embolden and affect and change and transform his people and then those people who are transformed by God will go on to transform the world. And it's no different than what God wants to do here in our midst As the Holy Spirit transforms us through God's word as he convicts us and as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we become a new people and we go out and we see our regions, our works, our friends, our families, our lives, our addictions, our pasts, our hopes, our losses redeemed. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants to do in our midst. A great movement. As 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God didn't give us a spirit, a Holy Spirit that makes us timid. It is time to stop being timid. It is time to start being bold. It says that it didn't make us timid, but God's love gives us power and love. Be bold in your love and self-discipline. Be bold in your self-discipline. Everything is gonna be different because of what happened in Acts 2. And everything is different in this place. And we are gonna be a part of a Jesus movement, Orchard. And Jesus Christ will be at its head getting the glory. And it will be fueled by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active in this room this moment. He is convicting. He is inspiring. He is stoking. He is is calling. If you are far from God, he is calling you back. If you have secret sin, he is calling you to change and repent If you are living under shame of your past, he is whispering, because of Jesus, you are not defined by that. The Holy Spirit is active in this room. And if you don't know if you believe in Jesus yet, that's awesome. But know that the Holy Spirit is calling you too to know Jesus. He is active in this place. And so, with that, Shavuot, Pentecost, when the game changed in the New Testament, And everything we go to from here on out will be in light of the great work God has done. Now, as we go into communion, I want to remind you, we have an open communion table. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to be a member here. This is open to all who want to take to remember the sacrifice of Jesus by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. When Jesus died, the curtain of the Holy of Holies was ripped. And that's when I believe the presence of God went out of there so it could land on us. So we take this right here, thanking Jesus that he gives us access to God. And when Jesus left, he said, I will send, my Father will send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I want you to do is this. As you take communion, if, if you would want to, you thank Jesus for what he's done. And then I want you to say, I want you to pray however you would do it. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Maybe this will be the first time you ever spoke to the Holy Spirit. I want more of you. Fill me. Give me more of you. I want more of your fruit of the Spirit active in my life. I want more of your gifts active. I want more of you. But fill me.
Amen? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are such an amazing God. And Lord, thank you for your word that is so vast and beautiful. And it comes together in such an amazing way. Thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice. And we thank you for the Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit. We pray you be very active in this room, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.